2: Hello listener, I'm Karl Anker and welcome to Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast from The Athletic. This week we'll be discussing a big interview conducted on The Athletic between super agents Mina Raiola and Jonathan Barnett, who are speaking together for the very first time. If you check this article out, Rayola gives his thoughts both on Paul Pogba and Sir Alex Ferguson, as well as a certain Norwegian football player. Plus we're going to talk about cult heroes, discuss Nicky Botts' departure from the club and answer some of your reader questions. Help me, as ever, make the best of all your Manchester United thoughts, questions, queries and comments are the best strike partnership have a go through Old Trafford since the days of York and Cole. First things up, it's my fellow beat reporter in United. It's Mr. Laurie Whitwell. Laurie, how are you doing?
3: Carl, I'm good, yes. Thanks for the analogy. Um, I'm not going to say which one I might be, but um, uh, yeah, it was a good interview, wasn't it, by Danny and James on uh, the two agents, Raiola and Barnett. They um, they certainly came up with some punchy stuff, uh, so we'll get stuck into it. But some, some relevant stuff, I think, as well for Manchester United.
2: I want to also throw this over to the... Editor of United We Stand and Contributing Right to The Athletic is Mr. Andy Mitton. And Andy, this is a really interesting interview we've got here, isn't it?
1: Good. It's good to get them on the record because I think they've got a natural aversion to, to journalists, especially the British press, and they talk about that quite a lot within the interview. So it's good to get their view on it. I don't necessarily agree with some of what they say, but you can see why players adore them. And rayola in particular, has got a real bee in his bonnet about FIFA. So, yeah, it's 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 interesting. I think it's just the type of stuff which the Athletic
2: should be doing, and and is doing well. Yes, and listener, if you have not already subscribed, you can do right now for the special price of three ninety nine a month for the next six months. That's forty percent off the price of a full subscription. You can enjoy great analysis and in depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad free versions of all of our podcasts. So, if you are interested in this interview and some other pieces we've got in the Athletic right now, Laurie's done a fantastic piece on Park Ji-sung. We'll get into it a little bit later. All you need to do is go to theathletic.com slash pod to take advantage of this special 40% discount. That's theathletic.com slash pod. Okay, it's time to talk about this interview in depth. This is done with Daniel Taylor and James Horvazal, who got on a Zoom call with two of the most powerful men in football, Minna Raiola and Jonathan Barnett. To get you started, here's Minerola on United selling Pogba and then buying him back and his thoughts on Sir Alex Ferguson.
1: When Ferguson criticised me, was my biggest compliment ever, anybody could give me. Because Ferguson is used to come people come in, especially with young boys, and yeah. then they say, yes sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. And I only have to say that when Ferguson left, his owner, by buying back Paul Pogba, told yeah. me that was, by doing that, he told me that I was right. Because I didn't want to take Paul Pogba away. He didn't believe in Paul Pogba. When Ferguson says, I don't like him, it's the biggest compliment that I could have. It's like saying, Blatter says, I don't like him. (laughs) Fantastic. I don't care what Ferguson says.
0: I think it's much more worrying if a player came out and said something against Mina.
2: Some strong stuff there. Raul is basically saying that the Glazers buying Pogba back once Ferguson had left was a pretty big indication of the player's talents, at least. Laurie, I want to throw this one to you first, because... I think you've spent much of this season having to deal with uh, some of Raola's quotes, especially before a certain Champions League game. So what did you make of this conversation? What did you make of Minarola and and Barnett as agents?
3: I've spoken to Jonathan Barnett myself previously and uh, over over Luke Shaw, actually, which he he goes on to speak about. But yeah, never heard from Minarola personally, but you can tell, uh, certainly, from speaking to the guys, that he, uh, he tried. Yeah, let's clarify that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, have have called him numerous times, but you know, listen, he's a he's a busy man, got lots of people to speak to, uh, and I think this was a long time coming. This this particular interview, you know, a lot of hard work into actually getting them on the record. It's not an easy thing for sure. I mean, listen, it sounded like Raiola was bringing his thoughts across quite forcefully, quite repeatedly. It was quite you know a bit of a, a comedic tone to it. I think when trying to get a word in edgeways against him, clearly he is somebody who knows his mind and is not afraid to say it and has been that way for a long, long time. And yeah, the stuff on Pogba was interesting for sure. It speaks, I suppose, to the structures at United and the way that the dynamic totally shifted when Ferguson left in that regard. You know, we we did a piece earlier this season where... We spoke to people close to events at the time when Pogba left uh, and Reola's role in that. And then the fact that, you know, if Sir Alex Ferguson was still at the club, Paul Pogba wouldn't have been re-signed because he would have been with and Reola. Of selling or, or letting someone leave for free uh, and then buying them back for, for a hell of a lot of money wouldn't have sat well with Ferguson uh, and the way that he was trying to shape his team and build a team and, and build a squad cohesion. Him going, you know, enabled United to look at the situation again and I think certainly as soon as Ferguson retired that summer of 2013, they, they did explore the prospects but nevertheless, he, he stayed at Juventus and, um, you know, ended up coming across in 2016. Um, but I think, yeah, what, what Riola says there is you have to pay attention to it because he is such a, a powerful agent. He's got you know clients from you know all walks of life and he understands players and people, I think, pretty well um, and clearly has their priorities at the forefront of his mind and also his own. He's not shy about saying that he wants to make a few books uh, himself. But the Pogba issue reminds us all that he has you know he will have a part to play this summer, if 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 Pogba stays or if Pogba goes, and then also you know beyond that, you know when he, if he does enter his last year of his contract, will United try and offer him another? Um, extension will he sign it, and, and and what will happen? You know, if he does end up going on a free the summer afterwards. Really, you know, Raoula will. I think he says at one point he, he plans, or actually, it's Jonathan Barnett that says um, his admiration for how Raoula plans his players' careers and also their moves. And you can be reassured that he will have thought of every different uh, eventuality for Pogba staying, you know, extending or going.
2: Andy, I want to get your thoughts here. Both Reola and Barnett are termed as quote-unquote super agents. Um, do you think such a working relationship can work at a club at Manchester United where previously they've had players such as Paul Scholes and Gary Neville who more or less didn't have agents in the past? The model has changed
1: and clubs, top clubs like United need to be in cahoots with top agents and you saw mm-hmm. not long after Ed Woodward came in George Mendes's daughter did work experience at Old Trafford and if you control the talent, then you could argue that you control where the league titles go. Obviously, there are many variable mm-hmm. factors within that, but the days of Ferguson's autocracy have long gone. When he said a decade ago, there's no value in the market, it's not for any individual to say whether there's a value or not. Just because he'd been so powerful and had, had excelled and got players punching well above their weight, he was in this almighty powerful position. And he was identifying the right players such as Karim Benzema and then deciding that it wasn't worth paying for him what Real Madrid were to pay for him. I think Fergie was actually wrong there because Benzema has been one of the the best strikers in world football. And Pogba got offered a very good deal, but it wasn't good enough for for Rayola. And Fergie pulled all the stops out. He sent players around to his, his house in sale. And players love Rayola because is all about the player. It's all about what is best for you. Not the club, not the fans, the player. And we all speak to agents and I had lunch with a very good one on Friday and I think he's exceptionally good at his job. What's he good at? Negotiating. Um, it's all about the player. It's all about why is he not being picked more? Why is he not playing more? Why is the manager not said this about him? And he's almost like a social worker, and he's worked with some top top um, uh, players. And players' rights and wages have increased so much that you look at my uncle Charlie left Manchester United in nineteen fifty because his beef was, I get paid ten pounds a week and I play in front of fifty thousand people every week. Where's the money going? And he felt that players were serfs and had no rights. So he moved to Colombia on a hundred pounds a week, 10 times his salary. And he played with some of the best players in the world. And he got offered a chance to go to, to Real Madrid and players rights gradually increased in the sixties. And there were notable people um, like Jimmy Hill was part of it. George Easton. uh, And then the Bosman, all of these things have added to the power of players, but, my uncle charlie was a big manchester united star and when he finished playing he didn't have enough money to buy a car there's something wrong with that and he went to his grave being maybe bitter's too strong a word but i've only been asked for money twice in my life as a journalist to do an interview and one of them was of my own uncle and he said martin edwards owes me a hundred pounds and martin edwards was the man united chairman and i said he wasn't even born when when you moved to columbia so he, he he held a grudge, and you might find players from the nineties being envious of what the players in the noughties earned, and every generation. And these agents, it's all about the player. So when Beckham first negotiated mm-hmm. his professional contract, his dad didn't know what to do. So Ferguson decided to figure. Ferguson would basically say, "There you go, son, sign that." And in hindsight those players could have got a lot lot more money now the club's argument was be patient here the money will follow and it did do so there's two sides to it but you can see why these hustlers these very very good negotiators their ideal scenario is if you get a harlan type player and you can go to the top six clubs in the world and say who's going to pay me the most that's their their dream scenario and A lot of them are very good with with languages. They've got contacts all around Europe. It's not a domestic game now. The main agents in the UK in the 80s, people like Dennis Roach, they fell way by the wayside. It became these international moves and shakers. Laurie said, a good people person. Georgie Mendez worked in a disco. He's a good people person. Players are attracted to certain types of people. Mino Rayola was in a pizzeria. And... They work their backsides off for their players. They do everything for the players. Doesn't always work out. Did Jesse Lingard work out going with Mino? I don't think it did. I don't think Mino got him a deal as good as going to West Ham and being really good at West Ham. So it's not an exact science. Football lends itself to disappointment, but these people are hugely influential and powerful. And it's all right fans saying, tell him where to go, never deal with him again. Okay. And finish ninth.
2: There's the balance. There's an excellent bit in this interview where Jonathan Barnett uh, talks about how his group, the Stellar Group, uh, has their own analytics department. So Barnett representing Luke Shaw discussing analytics department that is on par with at least the athletics group if not some of the top football groups in the world (laughs) yeah what do you think about that he
3: said he said he hired them from a club didn't he a couple of people analytics people and i found that really interesting in the sense of you know the the fact that they're not just about transfers you know these big agencies have got a support network they've got you know um links with pr people so that they can make sure that their clients get good interviews in certain places you know that's not always to do with the club. Um, you know but it's it's equally only at the you know they have quite a, a decent amount of control I think over those, those those kind of situations so they they want to present their client in the best possible light so you know that, that's a public facing thing and also as you say internally behind the scenes if they can actually work with their player how much value is that giving the player you know to sort of show you know actually we're going to give you a tailored you know um you know, a bit of footage or, or whatever it might be. And obviously, the, you know, Manchester United will obviously do that as well, but it's just that additional layer, I suppose, that, you know, brings fidelity from a, from a player to an agency and, and, and genuine worth. You know, we can see, you know, Luke Shaw has, has improved this season. I'd certainly say that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and the coaching team have, have, have a large part to play, but clearly if he's, if he's got support from elsewhere, when, you know, his manager previously, you know, Jose Mourinho wasn't, you know, particularly helpful in public, you know, we're certainly privately mm-hmm. saying some pretty harsh things and was it always constructive? I know that Jose thrives on that kind of confrontational um, sense of improvement, but um, you know, when you actually need uh, more considered support and and probably you know a bit more of a a, a visualization of what you know you, you need to do I think certainly Stella provided that personally um yeah I found that that aspect to it really interesting because as Andy says you know we can all um you know slate agents for taking money out of the game and, and certainly I think you know Danny and, and James put that question to Jonathan and um Mina Roller. Uh, And I think they answered it robustly, as you'd expect them to. You know, they've got this big fight with FIFA on on the cards at the moment, and that's obviously their main thrust um, for for, you know for around to to bookend the interview. Um, But I think also they do clearly provide um, other things other than just you know sorting out transfers. It's it's a rounded kind of uh, facility that they're they're now giving players.
2: Let's talk about transfers or possible transfers. Uh, Jonathan Barnett represents. Luke Shaw, but he also represents Jack Grealish. Uh, Minarola has a very impressive slate of football players, including Paul Pogba. He had a little segment in this interview where he goes, Pogba has a fantastic appeal worldwide. I heard from Manchester United that he's appreciated, also from Solskjaer's side. Today, if someone asked me, can you find a club for Paul, I could take my nephew of five years and find a club for Paul at a high level, which sounds like a, a man very confident in his abilities. Listener, if you have not checked it out yet, I highly recommend uh, Zatlan's. Ibrahimović's autobiography and um, there's a segment in there where he describes the move he goes from Barcelona to AC Milan and what uh, Mina Raiola does there and there's another segment where he goes for a contract negotiation and Mina Raiola w- works quote-unquote like a mafioso to get him a brand new deal so I recommend those two segments for you there's also another quote here from the interview we've just done from Raiola that I think is really interesting for both sides of Manchester I want to Leave this one open to both Andy and Laura if you want to chip in here. It goes, I don't give an F if I never do another player with Man United. I'm not in their hands. I'm independent. Guardiola, I've closed the book a long time ago. Everyone knows what I think of him personally. He can say what he thinks for me personally. Now, Minarola represents Haaland, who is going to be much sought after this summer. Might even stay at Borussia Dortmund. What do we make of those quotes?
3: I, I thought it was a little bit telling on the Manchester City side, to be honest. I know that he has um, sort of mentioned Guardiola again, and clearly there's there's been issues there in the past. Uh, notably, I did a piece recently on the derby from 2018 when uh, Pogba was the subject of uh, sort of pre-match talk and Guardiola sort of threw him under the bus a little bit. You know, he was offering, Rola was offering um Pogba to City and and it you know there was some pretty serious words said there so clearly there's no love lost but I think the way that he tempered what he said about City and Guardiola maybe just gives a, as a hint as to you know that maybe there's something else going on there. Um, whereas a little bit with United and listen, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but he, he you know specifically says you know I I don't give an f you know I don't give a fuck if I never do another play with Manchester United. Let's let's give it the full expletive because he's <laughs> he's, he, he's not watered down his words and you know I think that does clearly this is someone who who says. You know what he thinks and and isn't you know he he goes into boardrooms where you know usually it's uh you know suits and and sort of you know formal expressions and and kind of perhaps a bit euphemistic uh some of the language he clearly doesn't you know um sugarcoat anything He, he says it in a very uh mundane kind of way um but I think for me that sort of suggested you know, it was quite aggressive quite a you know a, a riposte really so I just wonder if that does have a part to play with Erling Haaland I know I've sort of written previously that City feel like they've got the um, the upper hand certainly a couple of sources have said that City feel like they've got the upper hand in in, in the Haaland pursuit and I don't know that this this paragraph sort of made me think hmm is, is that what's going on here listen like I say maybe I'm reading too much into it but just, just a thought
2: Andy you want to get your thoughts here both on um, possibly both players, Minarola, has that are uh, Manchester interested both Pogba and Harland. What do Football's you think?
1: Full of people who do U turns. Wasn't that great enmity between Roy Keane and Niall Quinn, and didn't they then end up working together as manager and chairman at Sunderland? And Sir Alex Ferguson has given some quotes about you know grown up men not bearing grudges, despite him holding grudges with with <laughs> the best of them. These agents can afford to say things like that about about one club. They couldn't do it about eight clubs because realistically, how many people will be in the market for, for Haaland? And the Spanish market is more deflated, even though you read the Spanish press and is on the front pages every day. I think the economic power is shifting towards the Premier League. So he's got to have good relations with the biggest English clubs. He can't burn bridges with... United City, Liverpool, and Chelsea, the, the type of people who could afford to pay the, the, the top top wages. But he's a street hustler, and it's, it's one reason why a lot of the the players really like him because they're working class lads, they can relate to him. And if you look as Laurie touched on, at the how most boardrooms are made up, they're not working class lads. They're they're university educated. Look at Manchester United with all the Bristol uni connections. And that's why I think it's it, it's good that someone like Darren Fletcher's in there to be involved. He can talk on a on a football language. Not that he will be the one negotiating uh, with the agents. Mm-hmm. That would still be, be be Matt Judge. So there's still you've still got that, that odd interface. And I think with Guardiola, he's done U-turns several times on players. You know, he speaks. I've seen him speak so well publicly of some players. I know for a fact he fell out with at Barcelona. And why did he leave Barcelona in the first place? Because he was worn out by it. And it was his players who wore him out. And they've worn out other managers. And the managerial fuse is a short one at a club like Barca. And when he went away and reflected on it, and I've had time away from the club, then he could come back and say, Lionel Messi is the greatest ever, blah, blah, blah. But there were times when there was a huge amount of tension within uh, that, that relationship and people fall out in football all the time. It's such a subjective industry because you're talking about analytics and metrics becoming more important and they are, but so much of it is still subjective. There's so many people who say I'm not having him doesn't know what he's doing. And it's just based on whims. It's based on professional jealousy on personal rivalries and it football's full of cliques as well. Their job is to get the best deal for their, for their players they do a good job of it. That is why they have become super agents. There are thousands of people who want to be agents. It's such an unregulated market. And most of them, the vast majority of them, do not have the talent. These fellas, they have the talent. They are holding the diamonds. If you, if Manchester United signed Haaland, you would suspect that they would become, maybe not the favourites to win the league, but... There would be like a 10% jump. That would be the perception. And these people come at an absolute premium with Pogba. You can argue it both ways. We've, we've praised him. We've criticised him. You could say he was right to get him out of United. There was a game against Blackburn when Pogba felt he should have started because United were injury hit. And Fergie started two defenders in, in the middle. United lost the game against a team who were going down. Really in hindsight, it was a really damaging result. And if I was Paul Pogba, I would have thought, my future's clearly not here. It doesn't matter whether I'm being offered to be paid more than any other reserve player. And he went to Juventus and he established himself quickly in the first team. So he can feel absolutely vindicated in leaving United and so can Raiola. And if Fergie wants to say nasty things about him, he war off a duck's back and vice versa. You know, humans don't have to like each other, especially in such a competitive
2: environment where... Finishing second
1: brings criticism.
2: Let's talk about the possible moves that either men could be involved in over the summer. Could any club, realistically, could any club apart from City or United afford Haaland? Could any club apart from United or or City, indeed, afford someone like Jack Grealish, who's under a stellar group? We've had two or three press conferences from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer where he's been quite cagey with his cards close to his chest about how much money is available at Manchester United, but could there be a blue chip signing on the way?
3: Yeah, one marquee signing has certainly been the suggestion um, and then the rest, I suppose, dependent on whether sales are made and to what level. So that, for me, you look, looking at their accounts and, and the fact that they have been robust with the commercial you know, uh, deals. You know, they've got a new shirt sponsorship, so that's, that's sorted for the next few few years. Um, that, that does mean that they, they should be able to make a, a solid signing, like a proper signing. I don't think another signing of a Donny van der Beek would quite cut it, would quite fit you know, what the idea behind United are trying to do and and certainly what Ole Solskjaer is trying to do in terms of bridging that gap to Man City. Because the only way, really, clearly players can improve. We can all have questions about whether Ole Solskjaer is ultimately the, the manager to get United there. But clearly the way to best close that gap to Manchester City, who have, you know, consistently spent and added quality established quality to that squad for a number of years is to go out and and buy some proper established players that you know for a fact can come into the team and, and hit the ground running. So that's why for me personally... You know, a Jack Grealish would be, you know, perfect. I'm not saying that I know exactly how he'd fit into the team or or where he would play, because, listen, that's another debate. But I just feel like a player that creates like he does, that adds something different to a team that can dribble, that can do different things than what United have already got, and has performed at the Premier League now for two years, you know, holding. Aston Miller on his shoulders to, to a large degree, he's ready, you know, he showed for England that he's got that ability to to step up. And I wonder what will happen this summer. I mean, maybe that's, you know, one of the, it, Jonathan Barnett at one point talks about, you know, a, a few transfers that he thinks will happen that are a significant amount of money. And maybe that is one that he's thinking of, I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm sort of reading between the lines a little bit here, but you hear, you know, Manchester, Manchester United have definitely got Jack Grealish on the radar, he's not going to go away. Manchester City, also, you know, they've had him on the radar for a while. So you're sort of looking at him thinking, could it be another, you know, head to head situation established? That being said, you know, he signed a new contract last year. Jack Grealish, again, you know, stellar agency will have negotiated that. Um, Jonathan Bartlett's partner, uh, David Manasseh, I think is the one that that perhaps um, has a, a closer relationship with Jack Grealish and his family. And so that then you wonder. The level of the the, of the pay that he's on at Aston Villa, how much is that a factor in, in where he goes? And also, you know, clearly Aston Villa would, would want, you know, if they would even countenance um, a sale. And we've seen how important he is to the team now that he's been out the side. You know, they would want a hell of a lot of money. I, you know, I'd be reluctant to put a, put a figure on it exactly. But if United go and sign that Jack Grealish, he would be the one, you know, marquee name. He would be that calibre. Erling Haaland obviously you know would also <laughs> undoubtedly be that I think probably the, the, the pool for him is a little bit wider than just you know United and City I mean Bayern Munich certainly would have the resources Chelsea certainly having a look at him and I know we've you know that they have the money for, for sure so you know it, it would yeah I think is, is he on record as saying 10 clubs are looking at Haaland maybe it's it's not as many as that that could actually then go and do the deal because certainly he and uh, the player will be demanding a lot of um, remuneration you know in salary and uh, you know justifiably so given the, the pedigree that he's got but yeah I think the, the number of clubs is probably a, a pretty small pool but yeah definitely United and City in there and it will they are right you know these guys know what they're talking about when, they, when they're looking ahead to the summer transfer window and, and the kind of
2: money that will need to change hands to make these deals happen and the football season ends at the end of may you've got the european championships and the next season 2021 2022 starts on the 14th of august i believe which i think is a couple days earlier than scheduled is this going to be a busy transfer window or is it still everyone's skin i think prices will be down but you might get a a merry-go-round effect where
1: one club pays a lot of money And that money is then circulated among some of the biggest clubs. Fergie always said the best players are the hardest ones to get. He didn't like it when a player Mm -hmm. came easily. And United, going to what Laurie says, you do need a Bruno class player. If you're looking back at last season's transfer window, could you say now that it was a big success? I couldn't with, with great conviction. There's been times this season where we've been more optimistic, but... If you're Bruno, you want world-class players around you. And if you're Jack Grealish, you want to win trophies. And he's done really well at Aston Villa. And Aston Villa have done really well under Dean Smith. But they ain't winning the European Cup like they did in, in 82 again. So Manchester United would operate on a far different pay scale to somebody like Aston Villa. Manchester City, to their credit, have backed down on a few transfers. They've got a pretty rigid pay structure. And if they were to go for a Haaland, they'd have to smash their own uh, pay structure. United United and City both went or were interested in, in Harry Maguire, Alexis Sanchez. And it was City who pulled back. And I spoke to an agent who dealt with them and he just said they'd have to break their their, their pay structure if they wanted um, a Haaland. I don't think we'll be seeing three world-class players joining Manchester United, but I think it's really important that we, that we see one. And I keep going back to that conversation I had at the start of the season about Donny van der Beek. It wasn't one where I was filled with conviction. It's like he's been brought in to bolster the squad and the midfield has become more of an issue there. If you're going to compete with the absolute best, the United team, I think, needs to be strengthened. And there's always other factors. You know? How good will James Garner be? I'm told he's not ready yet at all and how good will youth player A youth player B youth player C but all he's going to be judged on whether he's challenging for the title next season or not and at the moment Manchester City are away from if United can be smart move a couple of players on uh, you know, get 20 million for a couple of players from Premier League teams there's, there's players there who probably don't have a big future at Manchester United who've got a good resale Jesse Lingard's done himself no harm whatsoever in his form at West Ham he's proved that he can play for a a very good uh, Premier League team and then use some of that money as well as the money that's been generated and the team viewer uh, deal's definitely been viewed positively you've had the optimism of fans coming back into the stadium I spoke to Richard Arnold two weeks ago he had a very optimistic outlook maybe wishful thinking as well like we all are because we want fans to come back in but it would all lead to United being in a a better position than most other clubs. However, Spanish clubs have been written off before. Manchester United fought they had Ronaldinho in 2003. And the reason they fought they had him, A, because he gave them his word and actually said, I'm coming, and actually said to Cleverson, join Manchester, I'm going there. And B, they didn't think Barca had the money, because they didn't. But Barca and Madrid enjoy very favourable credit lines with authority, with banks, I wouldn't be absolutely stunned if, however much we've written off Barca for their financial problems, they they have some sort of new deal, maybe money from abroad, maybe money coming in from you know Saudi, Qatar, the Emirates, whatever, and suddenly they can go out and buy like, like they've always bought. But United should should be there. I don't think we're going to be seeing the 120 million asked of from Jadon Sancho. But you'd be expecting, you know, a 70 million, Laurie, is that fair?
3: That's what I would gauge as, when you know, when told, you know, a significant transfer, I think that's a, a fair reflection. And, and, you know, will that be enough to get a Grealish? You know, it, it probably won't be enough to get a Haaland, given his release clause isn't um, activated till next summer. Yeah, Sancho, you're not going to go through a whole summer of, of wanting him and then sort of totally you know, say, no, he's not one for us the next summer. You know, he's obviously somebody that they're still looking at, even though they, you know, United went and bought Ahmad. Could United go and get cheaper options than but still quality options then some of the other players can they can they box a bit cleverly you know I know you and I Carl have discussed Dominic Calvert lewin as a as an alternative you know striker to, to Erling Haaland clearly he's you know it looks like he's not at the, the the kind of European pedigree level that Erling Haaland is but he's a he's a good striker and he is the kind of striker that United have you know said they want you know particularly with Edison Cavani's future being unclear so I suppose that's what I would think about and, and then yeah I suppose the, the one player I hadn't mentioned was how Harry Kane, you know, he is certainly someone that, you know, is is being looked at by a number of clubs. His future at Spurs feels uncertain, but then he's got 3 years left on his deal, you know, it was a 6-year contract that he signed um, you know, obviously 3 years ago and that again just sort of makes it more difficult if you then decide as a player, okay, my club aren't looking like they're going to win trophies, I don't feel like I can fulfill my full potential in silverware terms here. I would like to move on. That's where you feel like um, you know would it's, it's a question. I don't know. I'm not criticising Harry Kane for signing the contract because I think anybody you know with a with a good deal in front of them would do so. But you sort of wonder did did would, was that him knowingly locking himself into Spurs for the for for, for, for the foreseeable? Basically, um, could you know you know Rauler talks about you know those planning you know, steps that go in place. You know, he he got a release clause in Erling Haaland's contract. That's why United, you know, walked away from the deal Um, that took him to Dortmund, you know, is that something that these agents will always think about? So, you know, whenever a player signs a contract, there's always interesting sort of dynamics to it Um, and certainly from United's perspective this summer, it just means, you know, they're going to have to search hard because I I think it's an important summer this one. You know, I don't think that they can look at it and go, well, the pandemic's hit us. We we kind of, we've got a bit of a, a reason maybe to be cautious. Yeah, obviously you've got to be sensible but at the same time, if you're not, if you don't have of the idea that you need to be challenging for the title at the forefront of your mind, then I think that allows a little bit of ease to creep in and, and a little bit of you know satisfaction at, at second best. And I, I think that would be that would turn next season into a difficult situation. You
1: mentioned Dominic Calvert Lewin, who, who lives in Manchester, by the way. Uh, would he like to join United? Well, what do you think? Look where he <laughs> look where he scores his goals. Right, they're all very very close, and it's the type of play United are missing. United have obviously looked at him and, and every other striker in the past. Has he been viewed as being United class? I wouldn't say. Is he Haaland class? I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say that, that that he is. And do Everton need to sell like they used to do? No. Everton have got serious money now, so even to get Lukaku out of Everton cost a lot of money. And if Calvert Lewin signed, would it be seen as? The, the 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 top top class striker probably but not not sancho level i think jack grealish i think he he would would be but i think calvert loon is definitely improving and i just know that united have looked at him in the past and they've not just they've not seen him as someone who they thought we've got to get him
0: looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more.
1: Well, this is just a celebratory atmosphere at Ultra. But this could be any school. Here's Park.
2: Young takes on jenkinson back to park Jason park arsenal's nemesis has struck and arsenal have been hit for six at old Trafford. united six arsenal one Laurie, i want to talk to you about another piece you've done this week on park Sung. it's cult hero week on the athletic over the international break and for manchester united you chose the south korean midfielder why
3: well we had a few didn't we we discussed it uh, anderson was one that we thought um obviously diego forlan um a couple of people that andy knows really well um and i suppose this idea of cult heroism adam hurry who does you know the football clichés podcasts and and is a very funny guy um he he was the one that kind of did the piece defining what a cult hero is and it's kind of somebody that is is popular um, well, he's, he's fiercely popular amongst the fan base, but he's not necessarily the the, the top level player that, that you kind of you know. He's not a legend, so so you know. I, I think certainly um, you know Fallon and Anderson fall into those categories. Maybe maybe Park was actually too good a player to be a cult hero as such, because he he did you know he stayed at the club for a long time and and won pretty much everything you can win. Player, when you reflect back and you look at the fact that you know he, he didn't play all that regularly, I think it was only. Twice in in seven seasons that he played more than twenty Premier League games, you sort of think, okay, fair enough. He's he's ever sounds sounds odd to say, doesn't it? But he's of a of a certain level that is yet below the 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 top tier, so that you, you can categorise him as, as a kind of cult hero, and he definitely did. Uh, cultivate a a certain affection amongst fans a, a real kind of warmth from people because of the amount of energy that he put into matches um, and the way that he was dignified as well you know gets dropped from the squad from the 2008 Champions League final having played an important part in getting United there not least in the semi-final against Barcelona um, and responds by saying yes it's you know disappointing but that my team won so I'm happy and there'll be other opportunities and you know he was right you know he then uh, played in the final in 2009 obviously I know that didn't go as well but he had the chance didn't he on the rebound which which studying back to his footage I found because um, I watched all his goals and all his assists for United and he scored a, he had a, a good knack for, for for the rebound for chasing in shots uh, you know and certainly you know I'm sure that kind of play would would have a role in, in this current team um, you know the, the <laughs> idea of moving towards the goal when another player's having a shot. And yet, you know, we obviously had a song about him that probably in today's standards wouldn't pass the taste test for for sure. Um, But it was... At the time, it felt kind of fun, and you know, and certainly gets Liverpool. Any song that you know has Liverpool in, you know, it's going to be a bit of uh, more popular, I suppose. Um, but no, I, I spoke to Eric Steele for it. Um, obviously, Andy and I know, um, and he's you know a really, um, he's a really enjoyable guy to speak to every, every time he comes out with some really colourful language. And he, he just said about Park that you know he was he was a bit of a ratter. Um, it, Arsenal would hate him because he, he would always get about them. You know, he'd always give a hundred percent energy and and he would do a task specifically so he said that if you know United were playing against a team that had a good uh, fullback a good winger you could put Park on that side and he basically shut that down you know single handedly um, and that kind of player was so important for, for a manager like Sir Alex Ferguson for any manager really that you can depend on not only to do the stuff out of possession but to do the stuff in possession he was good off, off either foot he had a, sort of scored five headers I think so you know it's a weird you know, he was only five foot eight but he scored a, a good number in the air and, Yeah, just a joyful player. Had a smile on his face, and and what Eric Steele did say to me was that you know every time um, you heard laughter in the dressing room, um, you could you could be pretty sure that it was, it was um, Carlos Tevez, Patrice Everett and, and, and Park Ji Sung, which just amused me. You know, it's such an unlikely trio. He says that Spanish was the link. I don't know, Andy, did, did, did you know that Park spoke Spanish? Are you going to nah, correct I
1: mean, him? I, I, I'll, I'll never understand this. And these three were like, were the, <laughs> were the best of mates. And Patrice learned some words of, of Korean and and Carlos didn't really speak English. And they just got on brilliantly. and and stayed in touch long after they'd they'd stopped playing. And I think when um, one of his parents passed away, Patrice went to Korea for the funeral. I mean, it really goes beyond a few nice likes on social media. They are very, very close. And I love it how sometimes these friendships, there's a really mad one with David Beckham and Roberto Carlos at Real Madrid. And I spoke to Carlos Queiroz, who was a manager years later, and he said, to this day, I've still not been able to work out uh, how they became close friends, because they couldn't speak a, a mutual language. And they'd sit there after training for an hour uh, each day. And he said, I-, I still can't work it out. You know, <laughs> what were they looking at? What were they talking about? Someone said to me, oh, I've just be talking about birds. But <laughs> I don't know whether that, that's true or, or not. But football throws up these relationships which shows it's just not about about language. But yeah, Park, Tevez and Evra, the most unlikely combination. And all three of them were fantastic players for Manchester United. Carlos Tevez was, I wouldn't say underrated because he was appreciated, but history went against him because, because if he rejoined, he was a brilliant United player. United should have done more to get him. That said, seven or eight years after he'd gone, some of his teammates were still talking about how much money he earned at Manchester City. And
3: we're back to agents, aren't and we're we? We're back he's, to you know, agents. Yeah, he's, you know, he's had his runnings with Gary Neville, for example, on, on Sky. But, but, you know, there you go. He, he did his work for the player. You know, Rob Ferguson not the wrong way, but, you know, his player is satisfied, went on to win another title. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. Did, do we remember that? Did he, did he, did that happen
1: There's some guy <laughs> called Aguero, who um I don't know if he's he's carrying on next season or not, but um <laughs> I think he played up front for City. But my brain has um with like the lockdown, has just managed to delete absolutely everything <laughs> uh, since uh, Aguero left Atletico Madrid where he played up front with Forlan, who was another cult cool hero, as you say. <laughs>
2: Let's get into some of the listener questions. Thank you, as ever, every Tuesday morning when we ask the questions, you inundate us with some really, really fun ones. Uh, One of the first questions we've got here is from Gabrielle Johnson at GabsJ, who goes, I'd like to consider the resignation of Nikki, but are there any internal concerns about the brand new setup? Uh, Laurie, you've been covering the brand new set of Manchester United involving Darren Fletcher and John Murta. Nicky Butt left not sh- soon after.
3: It's it's always difficult when these um, sort of situations arise. You're sort of trying to figure out what's what's gone on. Um, and listen, there's obviously a, a few different factors here, uh, and not least is you know Nicky Butt's desire to um, try something new, new challenge. Uh, definitely wants to remain in coaching, I'm told. And listen, people are speculating could he become a manager somewhere. There's obviously different um, ideas, and, and I think t- t- Twitter was um, furious with them, wasn't it, on the night that that his uh, departure was announced and Celtic and Derby and and even Salford were mentioned. Um, I don't think he had anything lined up particularly. And listen, if if one of those things comes off in time, then great. But um, yeah, it's not something that he was going into another job. And and yeah, the the appointments of John Murta and Darren Fletcher were, I think, a factor in um, Nicky Butts' decision to depart um, with with a heavy heart I think with John Murtagh they they are just different people you know have a a different uh, approach to things in football Um, not saying you know one way is the absolute best and the other ways, you know, the absolute worst. But, you know, Nicky Butt obviously bases his on his playing career. And, he, he, you know, he, you know, we, we, we talk about Minerola there, saying things how they are. And Nicky Butt certainly spoke in that kind of language. You know, I've had a couple of interviews with him in the past year or so where, you know, he, he doesn't shirk around subjects. He, he, he tackles them head on. You know, you can see how his opinions are so strong that, you know, when somebody uh, like John Murtagh is there sort of suggesting other um, solutions that they can clash and, you know, a bit of a personality clash, I suppose. Um, so his promotion to become a sort of line manager really for Nicky Butt was something that I don't think Nicky Butt, you know, was, was pleased by. Um, and also just in general, um, you know, the role that Darren Fletcher's got, this technical director role, you know, Nicky Butt's been at the club for nine years now as a coach, you know, academy head, um, now head of first team development. So I've got a really you know good relationship with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, picking players that might be um, ready for the first team and also being able to speak to them with the kind of authenticity that I think is really valuable at a club like Manchester United. You know, he's obviously been there and done it himself. And I know... You know, I'm not saying that you have to be a player to be in that role or that you, you know, you should be always reflecting back on how things were done in my day, you know football moves on for sure. But I think there's a a massive part for people that have experienced those things that understand implicitly what it takes to succeed at Manchester United uh, and to then speak to players and, you know, give them a bit of a tongue lashing when they need to. So (laughs) I I think Nicky Butt did have hopes that he could, you know, ascend to to that kind of role. And the fact that, you know, it was then Darren Fletcher instead, you know, and John Murta combined, I think just left him with a bit of an impression of, okay, maybe my time's um, up at Manchester United, but I think it's quite sad, and I think it was a you know a heavy heart that, that he made the decision. And I think you can see from the quotes that um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer gave and Nick Cox, um, United's academy head, um, the, the warmth that Nicky Butt is regarded in at Manchester United, and he will always be welcome back.
2: Nicky Butt is generally regarded as sort of the older brother figure out the class in ninety two. Andy, I I'm going to assume you've interviewed him once or twice before. Yeah, I know him. I've spoke to him since last Wednesday. My,
1: my first reaction. Um, when I heard that he was leaving was one of sadness and and I've, I've not changed that view. I think he was doing a good job at United, did a great job as a player. He tells it how it is. He's a lad from Gorton. You know, he's not someone who's got much interest in dealing with the media. Uh, I've known him for a long time. First interviewed him in 1994. Did a trip to Asia with him uh, a few years ago. So I spent, I spent five days with him. And, you know, as Laurie touched upon, the, this. You, you have issues sometimes within a club and within any workplace and to anybody listening to this, do you get on with everyone who you work with? People see things differently. People just have have different views of things. I've spoke to John Murta and uh, I like John. to get on with John. Uh, John's definitely got his, his his talents as well and you're doing this ultra competitive environment and both doing the best for Manchester United. They don't have to necessarily chime in and, uh, and agree with everything but I thought that Nick was, you know, he was good to some players. If you ask you know, Axel Ansby, for example, who the most influential person he was for him at Manchester United, he'd, he'd probably say uh, Nicky Butt. And also the coaches like Nicky Butt as well, because they felt that it would speak up for them. You know, it, some of them coaches, they have obviously got good jobs and they're well paid, but they're not financially set for life, so they can't really risk take and be as outspoken as they might be like Nicky but might be because he could ultimately just walk away from it and he has left the club and I think he's definitely got talent so don't know what he'll do next don't think he's in any rush to do anything he's keeps himself to himself he's close to he's close to Roy Keane Mm -hmm. probably closer to Keane than, than than anybody so I saw all the speculation. I saw makes of mine said, what's he doing now? He must be doing this. He must be doing that. And I just thought, I'm so glad I've taken a day off today. That is my get out clause for this. <laughs> truthfully.
3: So you didn't, you didn't put a tenner on, on the, the Celtic job or anything I like that? I
1: absolutely didn't. And I saw uh, friends of mine talking about it. I spoke to Nick and then I just thought, no, nah, and um, switched my phone off and thought, <laughs> I'm bowing out of this one for today. Uh, Pretty sad because, as much as I think that you know Darren Fletcher is an asset to the club, and we've spoke about that, I think that you know losing Nikki Butt um, could could be a negative for the club as well. And I saw the statements that go out. Well, it's typical of a statement that any large company puts out, isn't it? Thank you very much, and and, and see you later. So I wish him well. He's a great player and he's he's done a good job
2: at at Manchester United and uh, John Murtagh does well too with with Darren Fletcher. Andy, we've got another question here from Marty Smith at Marty. That was fun to say. Uh, Any progress on stadium refurbishment or modernisation? I know this is a subject of interest to you. Is Old Trafford going to get a new lick of paint anytime soon?
1: Well, it's had a lick of paint. It's had tens of millions spent on it rather than hundreds of millions and I think fans will notice changes when they go back. Uh, there's, There's... new disabled areas which have slightly reduced the capacity from 76 down to just over 73,000. The big issue, and I've written about it many times, and I've, I've put this to people like Ed Woodward and Richard Arnold, is when is Old traffic going to be completed, if you like, because you've got these three huge stands, triple tiers on three sides, and then you've got the main stand, which is pretty small. And there's always been engineering issues with regards to putting another deck on the main stand. Um, I've seen plans going back uh, about increasing the capacity and I I felt that there has definitely been a demand there for Old Trafford to be bigger. So you're looking at it from an aesthetic perspective, but Mm -hmm. also from a a financial perspective. Of course, the outlay would be hundreds of millions to increase the capacity and, and it can be done. And I wrote lots about it before the pandemic Uh, would the Glazers want to be investing that huge amount of money, especially with them coming from an environment where stadiums tend to be built with public money in the United States and not really in in the UK. I don't see anything happening at the moment. I think Old Trafford was getting a bit shabby. I think it has been smartened up a little bit. I hope that some of my articles touched a nerve because to see paint peeling off the girders was pretty embarrassing. I look at Real Madrid redoing their stadium and taking advantage of uh, the COVID and no games being needed there and, and think Man United could have taken advantage of that as well. But at the moment, with the, the the finances as they are, I just think that the stadium redevelopment is absolutely not not a priority. What the main thing is, is getting fans back into the stadium and... We'll talk about it in the future. I'm sure I'll write about it in the future. I'm a complete stadium geek. I could talk about any stadium in Europe. And I'd love to Old Trafford to be the best stadium. But United are not the only ones. Barcelona have been talking about doing their ground now for a decade. They were due to start in September 17. Absolutely, it's all been done. Well, that's three and a half years ago.
2: And one new brick has not been laid. Uh, another question here for you, Laurie. Um, since you are the maestro of the internal makeup of Manchester United. Uh, we've got a question from Jace who says, what is Mike Phelan's role at the club these days? Is he fulfilling a vital function? Or Now that Ollie's settled in, he can sort of relax a little bit.
3: Yeah, well, Jace mentioned sort of, would they be better bringing in a, a young up-and-comer? And it, uh, listen, I appreciate where Jace is coming from, but it does make me slightly chuckle when I hear sort of these ideas of, okay, it should always be a new, exciting, you know, sort of young, fresh face uh, in the building. Um, I, I just think you can't overlook um a, a guy like Mike Feeling's experience, you know, the, the fact that he's been a player at United, that he's been a coach at United for a number of years, in the times that United have been very very successful as well so he knows he understands what it takes to you know put a team together and um, sort of beyond the kind of technical tactical stuff you know just sort of the feeling of a place and the the, the kind of characters that you need the kind of little one liners that you might need to say in certain moments to alleviate difficult situations or the strong words that need to be said um, sort of on a kind of contemporary basis right now um, I think what happens is you know you've got Mike, Michael Carrick and, and Kieran McKenna sort of leading the training sessions that have been set, you know, with uh, Solskjaer and Phelan, Phelan kind of watches on from the sides gets involved if he sees that the tempo needs to kind of pick up. Um it, it's sort of similar uh during matches as well. I know that Kieran McKenna does this quite a lot, but but Feeling is often um the guy, you know, sort of at the edge of the technical area. Um if he sees something that needs changing, you know, he speaks to the players and kind of you know tries to give them specific instructions on that. And it is involved in certain decision-making processes um within you know at Carrington, you know, appointments that might be made. Um he'll be sort of uh on um board, I think, to kind of you know on the interview process um, and yeah and listen and, and looking at players you know for example he, he went and looked at Jude Bellingham play um, against West Brom last season in the Championship um, liked him you know uh, sort of United then pursued the player and obviously he went to Borussia Dortmund um, he obviously went with Ole Solsha Solskjaer to watch Bruno Fernandes so um, you know that kind of first hand look at a player with, with his own eyes you know he's, he's a trusted guy in that respect so I, I certainly wouldn't be uh, putting feeling out to pasture just yet and in fact actually he did, a, um, he did an interview with the Man United podcast uh, recently last couple of weeks I think it was so um, maybe Jace, yeah, have a look at that and it's, it sort of gives you a bit more of a flavour of what he's about and the kind of character that he is so I think it was a really good interview actually
2: In the games I've seen at Old Trafford so far this season Phelan tends to be the person second most in the technical area so it tends to be McKenna first then it tends to be Phelan and yeah like you say he did very much tends to ask for regression and a higher intensity especially when the United are attacking another question here from Andrew McCarthy at Andrew Mook underscore six uh, thoughts on the future of Axel Twanzaby he's 24 this year and should be playing regular football soon uh, Andrew says he's disappointed that Zabi hasn't played more this year, uh, given his performance against Paris Saint-Germain and the constant criticism of other defenders. Giving United's links to other centre-backs, do you think Zabi could be lost in the shuffle? Andy, you just spoke a little about um, Zabi's connections with Nicky, but what do you think about the uh, young defender?
1: He's got to be playing first-team football. He's got to establish himself uh, somewhere. And he's clearly got a level when he... He does as he did in Paris. But then a couple of other games, he's, he's made mistakes and he's very highly rated. He's been very unlucky with injuries. And as a person, I've not heard anything but absolute positives about him and the way that he's come through the club and he's captained the, every single age group, in, including the first team. And I, I think in a... Some ways you're looking at a Gerard Piquet situation where he's got to get in because he, he needs to be playing first-team football, but it's different because he's not ready to get in all of the time and also there's no Vidic and Ferdinand there. We've spoken continuously about United's central defenders. United mm-hmm. have been scouting central defenders. If United were absolutely convinced that Axel be was going to come through and improve another ten percent. They wouldn't be scouting central defenders, so that tells you what you need to know. If a club came in for Axel and offered good money for him, I think United would be would be tempted for that. I think publicly, Ollie would still talk about him being a great lad and having a good future at the club, but I don't think he's played enough games this season, partly because of his of his injuries. And I can remember speaking to Nicky But about him in 2017, and him saying he'll be better than than any of the players that we've got in that position. And not quite happened, unfortunately. And we've seen like the, these heights of Paris, but these massive troughs. And that that is a frustration. He's, he's clearly got everything. Has he got it to be a top level player at Manchester United? I think the jury's still out on that. And and it can't be out for much longer. He's 24, as, as you said.
2: I know he had uh, some injury problems uh, regarding some foot surgery, and uh, mm. one of the pins inserted into his foot unfortunately he fell out, which sort of delayed one of his processes. From what I've seen so far, he very much looks like a player who tends. Well, he performs better when he's in the starting lineup rather than one coming off the bench, and I think that's just in general for the defensive players at Manchester United at the moment. If if the defender is given a starting position, they tend to play a little bit better rather than say coming off the bench, and I think that says more about the defensive shape. Of United right now, rather than the player itself.
3: Agree there, really, Carl. Yeah, you, um, yeah, you, you've you've done some good work, haven't you? When after he made that starring role at PSG, and I think everyone thought, okay, here we go. This is this is his time now to take the mantle and you know drop back out of the team when Harry Maguire was was fit, as you know, as you'd understand. And as Andy says, a, a few errors that have perhaps just made Solsha think, you know, think again about giving him a, a run. Um, but listen, we've already got Eric Bailly you know, sounding like he's perhaps a little bit, you know, un- unhappy at the fact that he hasn't been playing more regularly, but you've got Victor Lindelof as well. So it's a difficult balancing act for Solskjaer. And um, yeah, I mean, I-, I agree with Andy. I think Twan David is now at an age where he wants to be playing regularly. So it's one to watch perhaps in the summer.
2: One further fun question from Wavy Dash at United LW, uh, who simply asked, would you rather fight 10 goose sized Harlins or 10 Harlan sized geese? This
3: this is this is payback
2: for me. Tweeting uh, the the more creative
3: questions have a better chance. Uh, I guess I'd probably rather fight ten goose-sized Harlands because I mean ten Harland-sized geese. that's that just a fearsome prospect. He's absolutely
2: massive, isn't it? He? Um, he is a very large boy. Uh, the thing that really scared—think I think it was when he won the Golden Boy Award and he took a photograph with his just in his shorts, and you clicked to open and you saw the size of his quadriceps. I went, yep, I don't. Don't want to be playing that guy in goals in five the side at all. Oh, so uh, yeah, I'll take the mini sized Harlands myself. Andy, this is some serious journalism. Who are you going to fight? The geek sized ones.
1: <laughs> I've, I've, I've really been thinking about this. This is the hardest question I've been asked today. Yeah, he's a he's a physical specimen, isn't he, Harland? He um, he's extremely impressive. I watched him a couple of weeks ago in, uh, in person, and he's he's huge which is not
2: groundbreaking news. <laughs> no, but, but it's really interesting where, I mean, you consider how many football players, professional football players are over six foot. I'm not going to make the joke. Um, how many footballers are over six foot. So for a striker to look huge on the television, they must truly be quite physically imposing. Uh, to any listeners who fancy a little trip down memory lane, look up Haaland's goal against PSG, but for, try and find the German commentator when he simply exclaims, Super tall." when the ball hits the back of the net uh, it's quite aesthetically pleasing to me but I think that's the end of this week's episode of Talk of the Devils thank you so much Laurie cheers
3: Carl cheers Andy thanks for listeners
2: thank you so much Andy thanks Carl thanks Laurie thanks everybody for listening and it's a thank you from me Uh, welcome well that's another episode of Talk of the Devils a Manchester United podcast brought to you from The Athletic we'll see you sometime next week bye bye The Athletic